Pour yourself a sweet tea, pull up a lawn chair, and turn the page with us. You're listening to Right on Mississippi, a podcast taking you inside the minds of America's most treasured wordsmiths. I'm PJ Lee, and Right on Mississippi is produced in partnership with Mississippi Public Broadcasting for the Mississippi Book Festival, the South's Literary Lawn Party. All right, Michael, I think we're here today to talk about some some writing and some projects, and I'm PJ Lee. Good to see you again. It's, it's always good to see you, man. I'm glad that I got to sub in for you today. I am too. As we get into the conversation, you can kind of take this wherever you want. Mm-hmm. Um, I was graced with a, a advanced copy of this book, Blackwood, and I'm familiar with some of your stuff. I've read Rivers and The Fighter and Desperation Road. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think I've read The Hands of Strangers, but you've, you've got quite a, a you've catalog hit the pretty, You've hit the chunk, man. That's, okay. that's the big stuff. Yeah. It's uh, Blackwood is my fifth novel um, in nine years to come out, which sounds kind of strange, you know. Um, I was thinking about this with someone this morning. For some reason, we were talking about 10 years ago and just kind of asking each other about 10 years ago. And I was like, you know, 10 years ago, I had just started writing Rivers, but I had been universally rejected with the hands of strangers. And... It was August of 10 years ago when I sat on the back porch with my wife and told her I was tired of all the rejection and tired of just not getting anywhere with it. And then I was going to work hard that academic year. And um, if nothing happened by the end of that academic year, I was going to be done and I wasn't going to teach anymore. I'll find something else to do. Um, But that was going to be it. But I, I did. I kept working. I kept writing rivers all that year. And then like Truly, like three weeks after we had that conversation, I got an acceptance on the hands of strangers from this little press in North Carolina. And then by January, I had Rivers finished, and I sent it off, and now people wanted to read it because I had something else. And, I mean, here we are. But that was 10 years ago. I was sitting on my back porch staring at the sky wondering, you know, if any of this was ever going to happen. Well, I'm glad it did. Um, Speaking about that, you know, everybody kind of does it differently, comes to this this thing of creativity and writing and storytelling at different phases. I know a little bit about you, but mm-hmm. I don't know everything. And I think our listeners would love to hear, like, how did you get to the point in your life where you said, you know what? I, I can't not do this. Yeah. You know? I mean, it's a, it was a long and winding road. Um, when I was younger, I was a ball player and I wasn't really interested in much else. And, um, I got done playing baseball in Juco for a couple of years and I ended up going to Mississippi state and, hanging out there for a long time before I graduated and still nothing had really grabbed a hold of me and I got real lucky and ended up living abroad for a few years um, over in Geneva and living in Paris a little but when I was over there for those three or four years um, you know I started reading to fill up the time like sitting in the cafes and riding on the trains and even in my apartment just because the TV was difficult to watch, to watch unless it was a soccer game I was pretty lost Um and as time went on, something just began to change in me and move in me. And I, I've talked about this some, too, about, you know, my dad's a Southern Baptist preacher. And in the church or when people are um, come to the clergy or are called to lead or whatever, they often refer to it as like being called to do it because it's a feeling like you can't describe, you know. It's something that moves within you. Um, and I think that's a very similar thing, like, for creative people and people who decide to try to write or um you know, play music or paint or whatever it is they do. Um, and it, I came back home um, after a few years abroad, and I was 29 years old, and 
I was like, it's probably now or never. And I hadn't written anything. You know, I'd read a lot. And looking back on it, I'm glad I had like that three or four years of like real intense probably reading where um, I was just kind of enjoying and discovering and not really trying to write. Because when I think I finally did sit down to write, one, I was very serious about it because of kind of the age I, I was at. You know, when I came back, friends of mine were married, yeah, had children, uh, had, had a job and maybe a promotion already, had, were maybe on their second house. And here I was rolling back into town with my plan being to write fiction, which it sounds just as dumb now as it did then to even say it out loud. But I had discovered Larry Brown at that point. And I had begun to read his interviews and things. And Larry talked about being a blue-collar guy and a firefighter. And when he was 29 years old, that magic magical number, he said he um, realized he was going to have to try or he was going to be miserable not trying. And I saw a lot of uh, I saw a lot um, of similarities in his trek and mine. Um, and he his story didn't make me feel like I was weird. You know, it felt like well, he did this. And he was kind of a fairly similar guy that I am, kind of similar background as me. Why can't I sit down and do it? And why can't I just work my ass off and see what happens? Which was his le- – if you read any interviews yeah. by him, that was his lesson. And so I did. Um, it's a weird thing to try to explain to somebody how how you decide to truly forsake everything else you've done and then sit down and try to do this. Uh, I think that's a – great way to put that you you mentioned that you were son of a preacher mm-hmm. i shared that with you uh, my dad's a southern baptist minister oh i didn't know that and uh i grew up in vicksburg and so mm-hmm. he was you know small church in vicksburg for yep. 15 or 16 years which was unheard of uh for a minister to yeah, stay really. in the town that's that a pretty long to, tenure at one place it is but the idea of a calling i've never heard it put like that but have you found now that you have forsaken everything and, and, you know, we're, we're looking back now on all this time and you have been, uh, able to tell these stories and have an audience to, Mm -hmm. to read them and react to them. Um, I would assume though that that calling hasn't gone anywhere. It's just now validated and, and you're more comfortable not having to explain now why you made those decisions because growing up in Mississippi, you come Mm -hmm. back you're not a banker. You're not a lawyer. You're not a <laughs> yeah. doctor. You're not in graduate school. People are taking vacations by their mid twenties, late twenties, having families. It is hard to explain to to friends and families, "Hey, I'm not going to go that path. I'm going to that's I'm gonna right. Do this creative thing." Yeah, you should have seen the looks on people's faces when that <laughs> told them that was my plan, uh, including my mother and father. Um, but yeah, you know. I think I do feel that calling, and I maybe feel it stronger now because it has been validated. Like, um, I've been asked a few times, like, well, how do you keep the fire burning? And I'm like, man, this is what I, this is my fire. I mean, that's what I want to be doing. Um, I don't know how to turn it off, you know? Um, the, the best days that I have are the days when I get up and I take my girls to school and I go and I write what I think is a thousand good words and, you know, go pick my girls up from school and sit on the back deck with my wife and chill out and get up and do it again the next morning, you know? Um, People ask you, too, you know, are you excited, like, when something happens, when there's a new novel or 
lately when there's been like a film option or a script, are you excited? And my answer is I'm excited, but I'm mostly relieved mm. of the work you put into it and the energy you spend to it. And you get to that uh, finished product, whatever it is, and you find that someone accepts it and someone likes it. Um, it is just a great sense of relief more than anything. Yeah, I'm excited. Am I excited to be going to Lemuria tonight and to be on book tour again? Absolutely. I'm excited to be talking to you, but it's more a general sense of like calm, you know, just being here and talking about these things now. Hmm. Um, one of the things we were going to talk about today is just the process as well. And you kind of hinted on that just now with one of your statements about, you know, you get up in the morning, you take your kids to school and then you, you come back to it. Um, how do you balance and then transition out of that frame of mind? You know, you, you yeah. I love it. It's dark. And, yeah. and I'm a, I'm a, a fan of, I want some dark real things yeah. when I read, I want to be, I want to be able to react to it and feel it. And, and you do a fantastic job of that. In my opinion, um, it'd be my drug of choice yeah. you know, as far as books and stories, but how do you transition out of that world that you're creating yeah. And then you get in the car and, and you're going and picking up these, you know, picking up your kids and, and having to have normal conversations. Right. And, you know, people talk about it a lot. And I'm just curious with you knowing what your your books have been about and the subject matter and the mm-hmm. the, the storylines. Is that is that something that you consciously have to be aware of or is it just kind of natural now? No, it's not natural. I'm very aware of it. And I think I'm going to say that I do a decent job of coming out of that but my wife would probably have a very different answer <laughs> but it's strange it's um because i work in the mornings and i get up and i leave from a story like blackwood or i leave from a character like jack boucher in the fighter or i leave maybe in an annalee of that truck stop in desperation mm-hmm. road and then i have to go pick up my own children and it's uh it's rough sometimes i think walker percy used to refer to it as the uh, re-entry period, mm-hmm. those times when he would have to get up and go back into the real world, so to speak. Um, but you leave a day of being down under that kudzu with that man as he's falling and sinking deeper and deeper into madness. And I know that I'm unresponsive sometimes to my children and my wife because my mind is still there. And I know that I probably seem distant sometimes too, particularly when I'm really driving through the middle of something and something has got a hold of me. Um, but I've, I've, I've learned that if I don't shake it off, um, it, the whale won't fill back up as quickly. You know, mm. I think it's good that I have the girls, all three yeah. of them to help me separate because I would hate to think about it truly like getting up from that and going back home as a single guy, as a bachelor guy, I'd probably go straight to the bar to be honest. Yeah. You know, and that would not be good. And then just living with that without any other engagement throughout the rest of the day or without a daughter to make you smile or without, you know, uh, you know, the sunset in the backyard. I mean, those things really do help. I don't sleep much at all when I'm in the middle of something. And that's kind of turns into a problem because everybody knows how you are when you go without sleep for a while. And But I think that's part of my subconscious gearing up for that next morning, too. But the coming coming back to it, coming back into the house, mm-hmm. um, or back into Carline after after a day of this, it is. Uh, I do have to be conscious of it. I wish it did get easier, but it really doesn't. Yeah, I mean, I, I've read a lot of you know conversations and interviews with writers through the years, and 
I've heard it described as kind of getting back to the everydayness. That's right. You know, I think yeah, that's a a challenge. I think would have to be difficult. Yeah, um, it is. And you like you know, I find myself kind of forgetful sometimes or spacing out when somebody's talking to me when I'm not to you know when I'm an hour away from getting up from the laptop because my mind is still there. I guess mm-hmm. you know, I'm sure people have thought I might be doing other things at times, but I was really just <laughs> a little bit lost. Mm-hmm. Well, is I think until you start uh, mixing up names and <laughs> <That's right. laughs> from your books with every day, you're probably going to be all right. That's right. Um, well, let's talk a little bit about Blackwood. Uh, and it's going to be hard to fit all this in in 15, 20 more minutes. But like I said earlier, I've read Desperation Road. And and I, I think when you and I talked before, one of the mm-hmm. things that stood out to me was reading that first 20 or 30 pages of Desperation Road, I had to put it down yeah. and, and just kind of sit in it. And, and I asked you what it was like to write that. Yeah. Uh, here we are again in Blackwood. Uh, yeah. it, you read it, and, and I love it, but I had to put it down at times. And yeah. I, I'm interested to know like, just where this story came from for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and given this process, what, what was it like creating this these characters in Red Bluff and, yeah. and the kudzu? Yeah. It's strange because you, we've all been around kudzu our whole life. We've seen it everywhere, can't get away from it. But for some reason, like the last two years or so, I really begin to notice it more. And like it's, I think it's because you know I live in Oxford, but I have a little work studio in Water Valley, so I drive twenty miles along the North Mississippi hill country every morning, and that stretch of Highway Seven. I mean, it's covered. It's, covered. it's yeah. almost like never ending. And it's up the trees and over the houses and over the abandoned cars and over the hills and down in the valleys and the creeks. And it has just started to become something different to me as I would notice it. It began to have a, like a real creepy feeling to it, like an eerie feeling to it, something almost kind of haunting, particularly in the twilight when I would drive past it. It's almost like, you know. They were big green monsters just standing there hovering over, like waiting to reach down and snatch you up. Hmm. And the more I was kind of moved by that, um, the more I realized that was the story I was going to write. Um, It wasn't hard for me to then imagine this valley just completely covered um, by the kudzu and the, the rises and the humps and the falls and everything. And then this little town right on the edge of it. And I knew it was going to be kind of a ghost tale, kind of a haunted story. And I, I had the feeling it would become kind of like these kind of ghost stories that we pass on from one generation to the next, like people do in small towns. Yeah. Um, and it did. It really felt generational to me as the thing went along. There's a lot of telling and retelling and whispers about what have happened. Well, that's how we start, you know, with Colburn and what happens to him as a boy and what he walks in on. Um He's almost like a legend. So when he comes back as an adult, I mean, he's already been created by these people, like maybe two generations over. Um, I knew it was going to be dark. I mean, there was no way around it. I mean, and I knew when the, the, the family is on the edge of the valley there, the down and out, and the man begins lurking around and going under at night and I could just feel his descent, but I didn't want to get in the way of it. Like there were a few, you talk about getting up from it. I had to get up from it too. And I had to take Mm -hmm. breaks from it too. There were, you know, truly times when I was like, I need to get away from this for about a week or I'm going to lose my mind or I'm going to be one of these people in my, in my novel, (laughs) you know, but I, 
I've learned you can't get in the way of the story when it starts to tell itself. You know, it's not that I set out necessarily to see how dark it can be or, you know, how how risky things are, but it's just the way it starts to fall. And I've just learned to follow that versus, you know, pulling on the reins. Well, I think this story for me uh, highlighted so many emotions and experiences just growing up in a place Mm -hmm. like Mississippi. And certainly it had kind of rings of other people, places and stories that I've heard and read through the years, but it really jumped out to me that you told a story. The, the format was, was fascinating. Mm. The, the small chapters kind of almost different character perspectives along the way. Mm -hmm. And it, it reminded me of a, of a book I read in grad school called Winesburg, Ohio. Oh yeah, I love that. By book. Sherwood Anderson. Yep. Not the story and not the narrative or any, but but the structure. Right. You know, you get this this story told from connected people, mm-hmm. um, and they were all kind of had that that grotesque something was yep. wrong with them. They may not know it yet. That's right. But the community did. Yeah. And it became kind of an identity. Yeah. And and I really enjoyed the way this story was told from that perspective and yeah. it was for me different than you know desperation road and some of the other ones just to see okay some themes were were popping up that were that were not unfamiliar to you yeah but the structure was different this time yeah i think that's a very interesting parallel you make with winesburg ohio i had not thought of that but i love that book and i've read it several times probably somewhere in the back of my mind that had something to do with it um there is more of an ensemble cast in this than there are right in the other novels and that wasn't really by design you know it was just one of those things that happened um i think that's what i mean too by it kind of had a, that that feel of this story that's going to be told over and over in this place because you get the different perspectives mm-hmm. of it and the little short chapters too you know uh i remember when i turned it in i hadn't put chapters numbers on it and because I, I didn't feel like they needed chapter numbers. They almost, like you say, like Winesburg, it's like almost little vignettes sometimes. Mm-hmm. You know, these two or three pages, very close looking to behind someone's closed door or what they're doing or when no one else is watching what they're doing, that type thing. And it, it did have that feel to me. And I kept waiting on people to tell me to put through the copy edit and all, we need to put some chapter numbers on here. I said, why don't you put some kudzu leaves on it instead? Yeah. They're like, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. So we did that. That worked out nicely. Um, But, yeah, it was more of an ensemble. But when you talk about how it all comes together, that was that was uh, the trick is the wrong word to use. Right. But you start getting down the road in the novel and you begin to wonder, too, how is this going to come together? Because I don't plan. I mean, you and I have talked about this. I don't plan very far ahead. Right. And when I had all these things kind of driving, I could feel them coming together, like come moving toward one direction, toward this something that was going to unite everything. But I didn't know what it was for a while. We just kind of, uh, you know, went into the tunnel together, see what came out the other side. Yeah, I, I don't want to spoil the whole thing for people who haven't read it, but as I was reading it, you know, I quit trying to figure out what was coming next. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I just accepted that the next chapter, the next person's perspective was going to give me what I needed, mm-hmm. you know, to, to inch forward. And this is the, this is the first story I've read in a long time that I read in a day and a half. And I oh, would have wow. read it all in one sitting 
but I have a nine-year-old daughter I had to take care yeah. of. But it progressed in a way that was different than than the stuff that I've been reading recently. Well, good. Uh, in, including your own work. Yeah. Um, this seemed to me, and I, I guess I'm just wondering, has your, do you feel like this book, your voice and your command of it, and and what you're trying to accomplish by not outlining the whole thing from the beginning to end, did it, did it work better for you this time or more easily? Hmm. Um, I don't know. That's a really good question. I will say that um, the revision process of this novel was more intense than the other ones um, because it wasn't until pretty close to the final draft that I turned in when things kind of ended up like the way they are. Like in Desperation Row, The Fighter Rivers, like the the final revision or close to the final revision was really just nipping and tucking and things like that. But there were like some real shifts um, as things occurred to me and getting this thing home. Um, but I'm really glad to hear like that's your reaction to it and that was your experience reading it because I feel like um, if I'm really curious to sit down the next day and find out what happens and if I'm not really sure how it's going to play out, then that's going to naturally like translate to the reader you know mm-hmm. which is what you want you right. want people to keep turning those those pages and like you it's i think you put it a good way almost give up on figuring it out and mm-hmm. just let the thing be what it is um and experience it you know and the follow up to that was this was at least in my memory I didn't want to, like, I didn't want a certain thing to happen. Yeah. I was comfortable just letting this story happen. You know, with Desperation Road, I remember reading it going, yeah. man, I hope, I hope this thing works out. <laughs> yeah. You know, we need this to work out for these guys yeah. and, and this this child and her mother. And I, I wanted certain things to happen to Larry. Yeah, that's right. In in Blackwood, I didn't have those, I, I, I didn't have that reaction to it. I was like, well, whatever mm-hmm. happens with Colbert and uh, Sadie and Dixon and mm-hmm. Celia, I, I was okay with it, yeah. and, and I hadn't had that response to a book hmm. in, 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 that I can remember, um, and I think that's a testament to the storytelling. Well, thank you. You know what? Going back to like the comfort level of things, too, I think a lot of that had to do with me and my voice and, like, um, you know, you never stop trying to get better as a writer. I mean, I'm going to try to be better next time than I was this time. I, that's just what you do every day, right? But um, I felt the co- uh, comfort and, I think, a confidence – in my in my voice and storytelling through this this particularly the second half of this novel where I was like a little bit like you're talking about I was just letting it go and I wasn't concerned that this person had to end up that way or this person had to end up that way or there was a bad guy I had to get rid of or mm-hmm. anything like that I just wanted to see really wanted to see what would happen you know without any constraints and without any I mean Concern is not the right word because I've been very lucky. I've written five novels that have been the story I've wanted to tell, mm-hmm. and I haven't had to uh, to uh, give in to anyone or anything. They've I've been very happy about that. But this one in particular, I knew there was going to be just uh, nothing but the words that I wanted to see where they would end up, and wherever that was, that was just going to be what it was. Hmm. If it was a different feeling kind of story. Yeah, it read like that, and that's not a knock on the the other works that you've put yeah. out. It, it just kind of this had that, yeah, you know, 
I compare way too many things to music, but this kind of had that Wilco summer teeth. Oh, you yeah. Know, cool. you, you have the first two Wilco albums, and it's the best thing you've ever heard. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, you're you're given summer teeth, and you're like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, this is where we're going with this. Yeah, and, absolutely. Um, well, I'm, I'm and, you know, I'm happy about that. Like, I mm-hmm. take that as a compliment. I don't want to write the same book mm-hmm. over and over. I want everyone to feel different. And the, but you know, it's funny you mentioned that. I, I also made some notes about some similarities that I. And maybe that's not the right word, but there were some things going on in Blackwood that reminded me of Desperation Road. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a law enforcement, yep. you know, that that played a role in some of this. Uh, you know, I think he wanted to be a hero. That's right. Uh, and yeah. was close a few times. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then. Very, uh, I, I thought about Larry a lot in this mm-hmm. in this book, and I and that's when I quit trying to figure out what was going to happen when when you when you brought Dixon in. Yeah, I was like, are we going to have another Larry moment, or is this going to be that plus? Right, and, and I, that's when I put it down and said, yeah, I'm not going to try to figure this out mm-hmm. because this isn't it's yeah. not possible. Yeah, and um, but I did wonder if you know, some of when you're creating characters and and a story. Um, were some of these maybe remnants that that weren't that didn't fit with with other characters? Hmm. You know, maybe because it just seemed like these were at times similar, right? But then what they did and their actions and the choices they made in the story were completely different, right? And um, that's a really good question. Um, you know, I know it's full of my DNA. There's no doubt about mm-hmm. that. Um. I really don't know how to to answer that. The only thing that I had already, like I, these these characters were like completely anew. You know, mm-hmm. we did have the sheriff again, like we had um, in Desperation Road. But the only thing I did have the opening scene with the Colburn and his father in the shed. Yeah, I've had that story for a while. Wow, and it's just been sitting there. And I knew, I knew that one day I would do something with it. And when I had the this kudzu haunted story i started writing the landscape of it all and then i pulled that story up and i put it at the beginning and i said this is how we're gonna start this that's a hell of a story to have sitting around <laughs> you ain't kidding that's why i didn't throw it away <laughs> i knew i knew one day it was going to land and mm-hmm. have a big impact on something mm-hmm. and this was it i was uh struck too again by the another woman and a child or mm-hmm. children. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't just one. There were several, you know, families and parents and kids in this story that were just gut wrenching. Yeah. Um, and I, I wasn't sure what to do with it when I was reading it at first, because it was, those were those moments I had to just put, put down. Correct. Yeah. And, and some of the few instances where I almost predict, predicted maybe where this was going and that's, but they were also beautiful. I mean, we've all come across people who, just didn't draw the right card right and and they're not alone in it but they feel like it right and and the end of this book the the conversation that colburn was having was just to me something that that was a a really good ending if there can be an ending to this it was a good stopping point right um but that role that the that the children have played in this story Mm -hmm. was so far beyond the child's role in Desperation Road. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and it was it was fascinating to me to see how that, those past moments 
and generational moments came up again and again in this book. Right. And they were connected. Yeah. I think that's where that generational feeling really came in for me, too. Like uh, like you said, in Desperation Row, we have the child, and but she doesn't play that big a role. I mean, she's important, but she doesn't affect the story um, other than being a, a something to protect and care for. The fighter, we get Jack as a kid, but then, you know, we get Jack as an adult. And there's really nothing else. But this was had that feeling, you know, it, it wasn't just one family. It was two or three families. And the impact that not only uh, the experiences of the children, but the experiences of the, of the parents, too. And then we get to see those children become adults and the weight they're carrying then. Like Colburn's carrying this thing from 20 years ago that... You, you know he's never going to lose, and that's how it is. I mean, you know, I'm, you and I have talked about this too. My wife is works uh, for the foster care program, right? And there are so many kids in need and who are going through things that no kid should ever have to. And those shadows never leave them. You know, it doesn't matter if they live to be ninety years old; they always have that in them. And I felt some of that in Blackwood and in these um, in these families and their connection and how they tried to uh, just kind of grab on to whatever they could and make it through. Yeah, that There was a line in there somewhere, and I can't remember the the part of the book, but it was talking about this thing has been planned since the beginning of time. Mm, yeah. And just, yeah. you know, when you – having to accept that right, right. as a child or an adult, yeah. but coming to terms with that is painful. Yeah. That was that was a hurtful line to write too, because I think we all do that in our lives. When things happen, we just realize it. This is what I've been waiting on, you know. This is the thing, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, you're most of the times not ready for it. And I, I know Sadie kind of touched on that too when she said we've been, we got here, mm-hmm. and what was what she said? She hadn't put it all together in time, but here we are. <laughs> That's a great line. <laughs> Man, yeah. I, mean, I was just like that. I, I can identify with that. Yeah. And, and you can feel that not just in her. I mean, you, you have a book full of characters who, whether they're conscious of it yet or not, yeah. are, are here. Yeah. That's very well said. Thank you. I'm glad it landed like that because that's how it felt to me. Hmm. Um, the other, and I think I'd be doing this book a disservice and you too if I didn't say it wasn't all dark you know, yeah. this, this is a beautiful story and and when I use the word darkness and, and mm-hmm. some heavy topics like it's a beautiful story and there were moments in there that reminded me and I hate this word but there were some some things that reminded me of some of the Faulkner that I've read through the years mm-hmm. uh, I don't know how familiar you are with some of with all of that but I think everybody's pretty familiar with it but Lucas yeah. and Maggie Beecham yeah, you know, where these were this husband and wife, and and they 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 got it wrong more than they got it right. Yeah, and there were some moments in in Blackwood where I could see you know men and women in a relationship together that just kind of had that. They're trying so hard to do the right thing, yeah. But then they're in this moment, yeah. they're in this place, and through fault of their own and no fault, yeah. and they've got to get through it. Yeah, and and to see. You know the Sadies and Dixons and Colburns and Celias of the world battle that. Reminded me of some of the stuff I read back in you know grad school and stuff. If I was trying to figure out yeah. what does Go Down Moses talking about and Sanctuary yeah, really. and some of that, and um, and it was definitely the book had those moments where I just kind of laughed. Mm-hmm. Like, this, this is so painful. It's funny. <laughs> no, really. And, and, well, thank you. I'll never like you know 
turn away a nice Faulkner compliment. <laughs> but Dixon, he's that guy. When Dixon walked into the story, I was like, here's the guy that everybody's going to know. Yeah. Him and his wife, everybody's going to know him and be able to relate to it. And it's so cringy and uncomfortable to have to watch that from a distance. You know, whether you're reading it or yeah. whether you're at the bar sitting next to him, it's so hard to watch that awkward, yeah. like, this guy is still hung up on yeah. on the girl serving him Budweiser. I know. And, and he's never going to get over and, and it. Never. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> and what was the line in there? He, She accidentally gave him hope. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've seen that a million times. Right. <laughs> I've experienced it a few times, but, oh, but she accidentally it. gave him hope, which is, I was like, man. It's a fatal thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he, he did the best he could with it, I think. He did. He did. Poor bastard. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks for saying that. I mean, I think there's beauty in it, too. I think, you know, in all the novels that I've read and enjoy, like Faulkner and McCarthy and all, I mean, they're dark and there's things... You know, Flannery O'Connor was very dark too, but she, there was a lot of light in there and there was a lot of uh, just things that made you see the world in the way you probably hadn't seen it before, you know? And so any influence of that of mine that might be able to seep through in a good line or a good paragraph or, or whatever, you know, I'm, I'm always proud for that. Well, it's also a, a view that people need to see. Yeah. And I think it, it explains so much of, of what we go through on a daily basis yeah. you know, in Mississippi. Yeah. Um, it, it's not all hospitality and, and no, it's not. And honeysuckle. No, it's not. Sometimes it's kudzu. Sometimes it's kudzu. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, well, I think we're about out of time, Michael. Um, I want to say thanks for, for sitting down with us. And, of course. And, and having such an open conversation about about your book yeah and man i hope i wish you nothing but success i hope everybody reads it because it's blackwood is fantastic thanks pj i really appreciate it man it's good to talk and visit with you again you as well thanks man we want to thank michael ferris smith for joining us today be sure to visit your local bookstore to purchase his works and keep up with him online by checking out michaelferrissmith.com right on mississippi is produced in partnership with mississippi public broadcasting for the mississippi book festival the south's literary lawn party 